Joshua 7 is where we're going to be at, but I want to just do a brief, just kind of give you a little bit, a bit of background and, and history as to why I'm talking about this today. Um, Chris has been teaching on drawing near, and last week's lesson on hold fast, uh, there are just a couple of points in there that just uh, that stood out to me, and as I uh, looked at... Um, and reviewed the lesson this week. The second point of his lesson last week is what might cause us as believer priests to waver in holding fast. And the very first point under that was persisting in willful sin. And that's just something I thought about this week. You know, just areas even in my own life that the Lord, you know, has revealed over time and things. And, you know, Romans chapter 6 tells us that we are dead to sin as believers. You know, it, it actually says in that passage in Romans 6, somebody might say, well, because of God's grace and mercy, I can just continue in sin. And that passage says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the Bible says strongly, God forbid. How can he who is dead to sin live any longer in it? And so we have, just as we've been declared righteous through justification... You know, God looks at us and clothes us in the righteousness of Christ and Christ took upon himself our sin and God judicially declared us righteous. Um, The process of sanctification, we no longer have to sin. We don't have to. We when we do, it's willful and we may um, think, well, I didn't mean to do that. Well, no, we, you know. And I hear people say this, and I, I, I'm going to get on a soapbox before I even start teaching actually here, but when I hear somebody say this, and, I, and I've had this with, uh, you know, been dri- many of you know I've been driving a school bus for the past few months, and I've heard people say, you know, th- that kid may be ornery, but he's got a good heart. Not according to the Bible. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that applies to us as well. So if you wonder why... If you wonder why I don't feel as close to God as I used to, if you wonder why it just seems like nothing's going my way, and I'm not talking about rubbing a genie bottle and get your way type of a thing, maybe we just need to examine and wonder why I'm not as near to God and drawing as near to God and close to Him as I used to be. And maybe, just maybe, it's because of sin in our life. And so this is a familiar passage uh, to many, Joshua chapter 7. It comes on the heels of the famous story where Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. You know, the old spiritual Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. No, they, um, they didn't actually fight the battle of Jericho. God did it for them, right? You remember the story? Um, God tells them to, to have a battle plan that is unlike any other that's ever been seen. March around the city one time, be totally silent except, you know, and just uh, you got warriors ahead of the ark, you've got warriors behind the ark, and they march around the city six days, one time each, but on the seventh day they march around seven times blowing trumpets, and then we know the walls came down, the walls of Jericho came down. But as what we're going to look at today is kind of what Paul Harvey, if you're familiar with Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, um, found in Joshua chapter 7. 
By the way, there's kind of, this is an aside, but if you like the idea of Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story, have any of you ever heard Mike Rowe's podcast called uh, That's the Way I Heard It? It's only like seven or eight minutes, one time a week, and it's very similar to Paul Harvey's uh, This is the Rest of the Story. Uh, but it's very interesting, a lot of historical type things, which I like, and uh, he'll, he'll tell you something at the end, he'll just, say some, he'll just say, well, that's the way I heard it, and that's the end of the podcast. But this, uh, we don't have to hear about it, we can read about it in Joshua chapter 7. Now, it's interesting as we go into this, that God gave a caveat in chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, as they were preparing to go into, as they were preparing for the walls to come down in Jericho, Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, God tells them this, all right? He says, But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So God said, okay, you're about to go into Jericho. And when you go in, you're going to see a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of neat things. You're going to see a lot of valuable things. Silver and gold and shiny things. And, and, and none of that's for you, God says. You're to destroy everything. You're to get rid of it all. But the, but the silver and gold, they're, they're, that's going to go into the uh, treasury of the Lord. So none of it's for you. That's the caveat. If you take something, uh, you know, that's devoted for the work of God or devoted for something else besides you, uh, it's wrong. So we know it was an easy victory. The walls fell down. There was such disorder. The Israeli army just marched in and mopped up. But as we get into chapter 7, there is one particular Israelite named Achan And as he was looking in one house, he saw in the rubble the beautiful colors of an imported Babylonian garment, and he realized it was very valuable. He saw a piece of silver that weighed in our, uh, the way we do measurements, about five pounds. Then beside that, there was a wedge of pure gold. And when he picked it up, it weighed about a pound and a half. Let's just kind of read about it here. Joshua 7, starting in verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, by the way. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel and said to them, go and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let two or 3000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there for they are few. So about 3000 men went up from the people and they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So, you know, and we'll we'll see that Achan goes in. He sees these things. He thinks, what, what does he think? He thinks, nobody's looking. He looks around. Nobody sees what I'm doing here. 
I can be rich. I can have all that I've ever dreamed of having. And he takes these things, he buries them in his tent, and he thinks, man, I made it. I've got it. And then the next battle, Ai. And Israel's defeated. And as and that's kind of this story. The next day the Israelites realize that you know, the small city that they're about to attack. Man, they just took Jericho. This is a small city. This would be like a, an army coming in and taking over Kansas City and then, and then going up to Kearney or something and saying, ah, we don't need as many people to take Kearney. You know, so they got a little cocky, a little cocky, and only send just a few people of their army, and they're defeated. 36 people died in that particular battle. Now, as we read on, we then see that Joshua is trying to figure it out. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face, verse 6, before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell upon the, uh, beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. (coughs) And so, basically what happens from this point, basically God is saying, Joshua... Stop praying. There's no reason for you to pray. There's sin in the camp. You've got to take care of this before I'm going to be with you, before I'm going to uh, take care of you as I have been. Now, God gives them a plan. The plan is, is they're going to get all of the nation of Israel down into this valley. And he's going to have the nation go before him. And he's going to narrow it down. Now, how many Israelites were there at this time? I don't know. It could be as many as a million or more. How, and so they gathered them together. And he, God says, I'm going to name the tribe. And basically says, okay, everybody but Judah, you can go home. All right, so the tribe of Judah is left behind. And then out of the tribe of Judah, okay, everybody except this clan can leave. Out of that. All right, everybody except this family. Now, think about Achan at this time. A million or so, okay, this is like finding a needle in a haystack. I'm good. Right? Um, Then they narrow it down to the clan. Okay, maybe a hundred thousand people. You know, I'm still pretty good. They narrow it down to the family. Maybe there, maybe one in a thousand, the odds are still all right. But then as all those family members go by, somehow God pointed out Achan as the man 
And Achan was caught literally with the gold dust and silver dust and the garment dust on his hands, so to speak. And finally, he's pointed out as being guilty after he is caught, after he is confronted, he comes clean. Pick it up in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So this morning I I titled this lesson, The Peril of Secret Sin, but really we're going to discover that there's no sin is really secret. And all sin is willful. The peril of secret sin. Um, Achan thought what he did was a secret. It's not going to hurt anybody else. It's just me. Have you ever heard people say that or thought that yourself? It's not. It's just me. It's just between me. You know, it's not going to harm anybody else. I don't want you to think so much about Achan this morning. I don't want you to think so much about any other person that you can think of that's committed any kind of sin and covered it up, I want you, as we're going through this lesson, to think and to discover and to ask the Lord to reveal, is there anything going on in my life that might hinder me from drawing near to the Lord? So the peril of secret sin, the first thing in your notes, number one is the pattern. The pattern of secret sin. The first thing I want to talk about is the pattern. How does it happen? There's a progression or pattern that follows, in my opinion, all sin. As you as you think about sin and things in your life, I believe this pattern fits. We see what and we see it in what Achan said here in verses 20 and 21. Just to read that again, it started, he says, I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, silver, gold. Then I coveted them, took them, and they are hidden in the earth. So the four steps of Achan's sin, number one, I saw. I saw. The first thing is he saw it. He saw the gold. He saw the robe. He saw the silver. At that point in time, there's an innocent observation taking place. He sees it. If Achan had only looked and saw and said, hey, there's some gold and there's some silver and man, that's a beautiful robe. But all of this is devoted to the Lord's work. So no problem. I'll turn the information into my superiors. Or if he had just, you know, taken it to wherever they were gathering things, everything would have been fine. When we look at something that could be sin, just to look the first time is not necessarily sin, right? You've, you've all heard that. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about what he called a lustful look. A man looking on a woman. Uh, a man observing a, a pretty woman. Just as you're driving down the street or walking, she walks by. Just to acknowledge somebody walked by you, no big deal. It's not sin. But when you turn and keep looking and then start thinking and start in your mind, what if? Now we got sin. Right. And Achan saw nothing wrong with seeing it. If he just glanced at the stuff and said, well, there it is. And just gone on his way. No problem. 
But the first step is he saw it. Just an innocent observation. Step number two, right out of this passage, I coveted. I coveted. You might say I desired. To covet something means we want to have something so desperately that we're willing to do just about anything to get it. Okay? The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. To covet means to have such intense lust and desire to have something or someone that even if it's necessary to break the rules to get it, you're willing to do it. It's kind of like it just makes you stop. You don't even think about the consequences at the time. The desire, the, the, the lust for that item, for that person is just there. And this is what Achan did. He looked, nothing wrong with looking. He just saw it. He looked. And then he had a desire. He said, I want that for myself. And that's the way sin works. There's the temptation itself. There's the look. It's presented to you the opportunity to do something wrong. And you, for you to look at that as, as an opportunity. Or, or is it the possibility God puts things in front of us to show us that we don't have to sin? Right? I'm dead to sin, Romans 6. But so many times we, we move on. It's what you do with the look. It's what you do with the desire. If you're presented with a temptation and you take the next step, I want that. Then it becomes lust. It's a sinful desire. I coveted. The next thing Aiken says is I took. I took. The third step, I saw it. I coveted. And then I took it. The disobedient act. He disobeyed the word of God. God had specifically said in 6, 18 and 19, as we read, it's not for you. It's not yours. It's devoted to the work of the Lord. Some of it we're going to destroy. Some of it we're going to keep, but none of it's yours. He disobeyed the word of God. How many times are we in situations where we know what the word of God says? But we still act in a a wrong way. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's an action. But we still do it. We still do it. The Bible says in the New Testament, when he looked and lusted at the point of lusting after it, wanting it, it was sin. And Achan took. He saw. He coveted. He took. And the last step is, I hid. I hid. In the fourth step, he said, I hid it in my tent. They are hidden in the earth inside my tent. He says, the dishonest cover-up, so to speak. I mean, look at the pattern. That's the way sin works in our lives. You say, oh, I really want that. And then you actually do it. You'll find yourself sometimes in situations where you got to lie to cover it up. We always tried to teach our kids. Now, they didn't always get it. But if you have to lie or keep something hidden from mom and dad, it's not something you should be involved in. It may even be an activity that's in and of itself not sinful. But if you've got to lie to participate in it, 
we got a problem here. Sin, when you feel like you have to cover it up, when you've got to keep it hidden from your wife or your husband, you want to make sure that nobody else knows. When they walk in the room and you're turning your computer screen to something else really fast like that, whatever it might be, if you've got to cover it up, it's probably not good. That dishonest cover-up. I could give you all kinds of... This pattern is throughout the Bible. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. I saw the fruit. It was pleasing to my eyes. I desired to have it. I took it and I ate it. And then what did they do? They hid themselves from God. That pattern is throughout the Bible. What about King David? David goes out on the rooftop, innocent. He looks down and there's a woman bathing. He, he, she was there. He couldn't help that he saw it, right? I saw, but then what did he do? He coveted. He desired. He lingered in looking to the point that he was willing to break the rules to sin. He sins for her and what? He takes and then what happened? She gets pregnant. He wants to make it look like her husband Uriah is the one that did it. But Uriah wouldn't have anything to do with it. I'm not going to be with my wife when everybody else is out in battle. And so what does David do? David has him killed in battles to hide it. I saw, I desired, I coveted, I took, I hid. I mean, this pattern is just, I mean, think in your own life. Doesn't that pattern just fit? It just does. And so, that's the pattern. Now I want to talk about, number two, the pain. The pain. The pain of secret sin. I don't know what there is in your background. I don't know what there is in your present experience. But if you have gone through or are going through anything like this, you're following this pattern. You can even see right now and think about where you're at in this pattern. It's a pattern in the Bible that leads to pain. It leads to suffering. It leads to destruction. And so I want to talk about this pain of, the, of secret sin, which, by the way, again, not, not really secret. We'll see that. But four results of living in sin. First of all, you're living in defeat. You're living in defeat. Our sin causes ruin and defeat in our lives. They had conquered Jericho. There was, but because there's sin present in the camp, they went out to this small town and were defeated. In Romans 8.37, it says, We are more than conquerors through him. Who loved us. In other words, we ought to be living and walking and breathing in victory in Jesus. The old song, Victory in Jesus. I tell you, the, the old songs have a lot of truth in them. We ought to be living and walking and breathing in this victory. I promise you that when there is personal sin in your life, and I'm talking to Christians, you know, Achan was a, a part of the nation of Israel, he was in the body. 
And when a Christian is practicing some kind of sinful deceit and sinful lifestyle, you won't be a conqueror. You'll be living in defeat. You'll be living in ruin. There won't be any spiritual victories. You won't have victory over your temper. You won't have victory over your mouth. You won't have victory over relationships. It's just going to be one AI after another running in defeat. If you're wondering, why am I not living the victorious Christian life? Again, is there any personal sin in our life? I I love what David says, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I'm just going to turn there real quick and read this passage to you. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. This is a great prayer to pray. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You might, there might be something that's, that's happened in your, you haven't even given it thought. It's just because of our sin nature, our Adamic sin nature, we, we just sometimes just do things. And you might just need to say, God, please bring to my mind. I want to confess the sin. Search me. Show me the wickedness that's in me. And you pray that prayer just like David did. So if you're wondering why you're not living the victorious Christian life, I think the first thing you need to do is look within. Pray a prayer like David prayed. See if there's anything that's in your life. And, and, and more likely than not, we know what it is. And we're convicted about it. And we've already been trying to hide it a little bit. We just need to confess it and get it right. So you're living in defeat. The second result, let her be there, is it hurts those around us. It hurts those around us. The second thing that causes pain from personal sin is that it, it does affect those around us. We, we have this idea, again, it's just me. Aiken's laying in his tent content. The stuff's buried. I got away with it. The amazing thing about this incident is Aiken is one individual. But what did God say to Joshua? Did you catch it when God said to Joshua, Israel has sinned? He didn't say Achan has sinned. He said Israel has sinned. There's sin in the camp. 36 men died in the battle at Ai because of Achan's, what he thought was a secret sin. None of us live our lives in isolation. Every time you sin, it's like dropping a tiny little pebble in a smooth, calm pond. And those concentric circles that go out are affecting those that are around us. You may not think they are, but they are. Your sin and my sin will always have some effect on those around us. There's a fallout from sin after the explosion that sometimes can be as deadly as the sin itself. And that's what Achan did. That's what our sin does. It hurts those around us. It hurts our family. It hurts our friends and brothers and sisters. It hurts our church. If you're living in willful sin and not right with the Lord and come here and try to put on the facade of everything's great in my life. And maybe you're leading in worship. 
Maybe you're teaching a kid's class, Awana, even working in the nursery, folks. If you're not right, it's not right. You can put on a facade for a while. You can fake it till you make it type of a thing. I know from experience, almost 25 plus years in full-time Christian ministry until just a couple of years ago. Chris, I don't know about you, but it's easy sometimes to do this in the flesh. I've been doing it long enough. You know, I know how to study. I know how to put an outline together. It's easy to, it's easy. You guys that have been teaching kids for a while, you know. It always, it always affects those around us. Letter C, it hinders prayer. The third thing regarding the pain of secret sin is it hinders prayer. Here's Joshua on his knees before the Lord saying, Oh God, help me. Help me, God. Help us, Lord. Why did this happen? And God basically says, Get up. Why are you praying? There's sin in the camp. There's a problem. Get off your knees. Stop praying. Do something about this problem. You have problems praying sometimes. You sometimes feel like your prayers just aren't even getting past the light bulbs in the ceiling, so to speak. Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If, if you feel like the Lord's not hearing you at times, maybe He's not. Not that He's not hearing. I mean, He knows all, sees all, right? But... From our perspective, our, from our sinful heart's perspective, he's, 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 he's not listening to us. This is the picture of a person who has sin in his life. We might call it a little white lie, no harm. You hang on to that little pet sin, you cherish it, you embrace it, embrace it you cuddle it. God says, if you're hanging on, you might as well not even pray. God says, I'm not even going to listen. By the way, a lot of audacity we have to go before a holy God hanging on to our sin. A God who died, sent his son to die for us. And I realize, man, we got all kinds of great verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, that's what God wants to hear. When, we're, when, we, when we know there's willful sin, the prayer he wants to hear is the prayer of confession. And by the way, the word confession... You know, we think of, hey, the police caught them. Now they're going to confess, right? Confess really means to agree with. When we confess our sins to God, we are agreeing with him that this is sin. And we understand that it was an affront to him. We've grieved the Holy Spirit. We, we are agreeing with him about how devastating the sin is. It's not just the kid caught with his hand in the cookie jar type of a confession, it's true agreement with him about how deadly and terrible and awful that, and, and the fact that we deserve to go to hell because of our sin. But his grace and mercy and love sent his son to die for us so that we don't have to. And then letter D, it never remains a secret. Our personal sin never remains a secret. There's no such thing as secret sin. Jesus says in Luke 12, 2-3, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. 
Achan thought he was okay. I've got it, gotten away with it. Nobody knows about it, right? So if, if you've got plans or have in the past cheated on your income tax, nobody knows about it, right? God knows about it. You've got a secret thought life, a secret fantasy life. Nobody knows about it. God knows about it. God knows. There's no such thing as secret sin. Can you imagine Achan standing out there in the valley of Achor? Again, a million somewhat Israelites, like I said earlier, a chance, you know, this is a needle in a haystack and it comes down to him. And and Joshua says to him, like Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You're the one. Achan was confronted, caught, and then he confesses. And by the way, this is a picture of the fact that just because somebody comes clean doesn't mean there's still not ramifications. He was caught before he confessed. The rest of the chapter, it's not pretty. I'm so thankful to live in the New Testament era. Again, though, Romans 6, we just should not continue in sin just so grace can abound. The rest of the chapter, I mean, Achan is stoned, his wife, his children, his livestock, all put to death, all traces of Achan and his family gone. It, it's not a secret, and it always hurts other people. 1 Timothy 5.24 says, Some men's sins are clearly evident and preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. That means there are some sins everybody knows about, and the, and the judgment comes right away. I mean, really, like, you see the ramifications of it in this life. And you see some people, they feel like they've gotten away from it, but they're not going to get away from it. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday as believers, even. And no, we don't have to be concerned about going to hell, but there is loss of reward. There's shame. I'll just kind of close with this thought. I read years years ago, I don't know if any of you still read the daily bread you can actually get a, an app now and read the daily bread um, but years ago i read one and I, I just have thought about this because we've always taught our kids we, we tried to teach our kids numbers thirty two twenty three. be sure your sin will find you out you know we, we always prayed for our kids it, you know if there's something gone in their lives and they're hiding hiding it from us god make it open reveal it to us and I'm not saying that we discovered everything. I mean, now that our, many of our well, four of our kids are married, and when they get together, they love telling stories about things they got by with <laughs> when they were younger, you know. But sometimes some of the biggies would just, would just become evident. And we would say, okay, God, thank you for answering our prayer. And I read in the Daily Bread about a man named Chuck, and he was driving down the street, stops at a stoplight, and then he's rear-ended. Somebody, somebody hits him. And he looks in his rearview mirror, and that person's backing up and pulls around and just goes. They uh, hit, you know, kind of a hit and run type thing. But he gets out of his car and goes to the back to look at the damage, and guess what's laying in the street? That person's license plate fell off, <laughs> fell off the front bumper of their car. And when the police got there, the police are like, oh, yeah, somebody will be waiting, waiting for them. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to him whom we must give account. And so, just that 
trying to tie in to the drawing near series. Maybe if there's an issue and you just don't feel like that's happening in your life, maybe, just maybe you need to do some self-examination and ask God, is there any wicked way in me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for just allowing us to look at this Old Testament story that's so full of practical things for us to consider. Lord, we can look in our own lives and see this pattern. And I pray, God, that the pain that may come from our sin may not be so severe, but yet we know, God, that it was so severe that Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, died to take that sin. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that even when we're unlovable, you still loved us. Help us, God, to just examine our hearts, to determine if there is some grievous or wicked thing in our hearts that we need to confess and get right. God, may this class, as we examine our hearts, may we just experience and, and, and even sense the, the spiritual uh, bond that can take place in a group like this in this church when everyone together is seeking to draw near. We thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.